This episode is sponsored by Skiveset Records. Skiveset is located in Malmö, Sweden and is one of the best record stores in Sweden for both new and used records. Skiveset Records sells worldwide through Discogs Marketplace. Links are in the descriptions on this episode and on your favorite podcast and on soundsandvinyl.com. Boozhound Music proudly presents Sounds on Vinyl, the show that celebrates collecting and listening to vinyl. And now here are your hosts, Mike and Phil. Hey, hey, welcome to the Sounds on Vinyl show. My name is Phil Boyer, and on the other side of the great open sea is my brother from another mother, Mr. Mike Svensson. Now, Mike, you just got off of your vacation. Did you drink from the horns while you were on vacation? Dude, what the hell? <laughs> I always drink from the horns. Of course. Horns. What the what of the hell? <laughs> Americans. Well, I know. you know. Yeah. I, know. I, ha- I had to use a helmet because I drank so much I, I might hurt myself. I don't know. But well see no. there you go. That's the that's all- the true the true <laughs> thing uh purpose for the the helmet is so you yes. don't hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> It's a different kind of helmet, though. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, so we aren't alone today. We have a very no. special guest today. We have Matthew Barzen, who is the former Swedish ambassador and the former UK ambassador. And he's got a book out called The Power of Giving Away Power. But today we're going to talk about his vinyl collection and his oh. love for vinyl because oh, there go. he has been called the vinyl diplomat and i think that's that's kind of a cool name so matthew welcome to the show how's it going uh it's going well thanks for having me guys cool. oh, well thanks for coming on we're gonna dive right into this and and uh, talk a lot about uh what made you be such a uh, vinyl ambassador so was there a lot of music in your house when you were growing up i uh, i grew up in this little town outside of boston massachusetts called lincoln and lincoln i, I guess there was a store there's like a grocery store but there wasn't what you would call retail i mean you couldn't get an album for instance or a cassette tape or a single or any of the things we might have coveted in the late 70s early 80s so i just turned 50 to give listeners a sense of um my type, so what I would do, I had one of those combo cassette receiver turntable things, and i just listen to WBCN, which was like the classic rock station in Boston, and just wait for a good song to come on and then hit play record. So I'd always miss the first few seconds of a song. But one day, yeah. BCN was, yep, um, yep. they were doing this promo when I was, I guess, 10 years old, and uh, and they said, hey, if um, do you know what year the song Dream On by Aerosmith, and I love that song, came out? Well, I had the record, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, well, this is really simple. It's just written on the bottom. And back then I had good eyesight, yeah. so I could read like yeah. 1973 or whatever it was. And I was like, this is so easy. So I thought it was a trivia, but of course it was radio. It was just promotion. It wasn't a hard question. And it's like, if you're the 10th caller or whatever, so I call up and I win. And it's amazing. So I win tickets to go see Aerosmith at the Worcester Centrum, which is like impossibly far from where I am. And I'm 10 years old and I can't drive and my parents really aren't into that thing. But anyway, 
my dad agrees to take me, and I brought my friend Craig, and we went to go see Aerosmith in the Rock and a Hard Place tour. Oh man! Nice. <laughs> yeah, and I got That's a Rock a T-shirt. And I, I think oh. that was when Stevie Tyler was going through a tough time, and I think he yeah. made it two thirds yeah. of the way through the show. Oh shit! But not the whole way. Yeah. And th that's when they got a title of, like Toxic Twins or something. He and Joe Perry. I yeah, think. I think that's right. I mean, I. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I had records uh, back then, and then I collected them. Uh, you know. Yeah. For a while until they fell out of favor. Yeah, you remember how old you were when you, you when you bought your, your your first record, and was that? I, mean, I bet that was it. That was probably ten, at the Burlington yeah. Mall. I think I went in. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it 10 cool. to keep the math simple. Yeah. 1980. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So did you buy a lot of records when you were growing up? Well, they were really expensive. Um, yeah. So mainly I would like, you know, borrow from the radio on the mix. Yeah. You know, I'd buy like TDK 90 minute tapes and make mixes yeah. uh, crudely. But I had my, uh, yeah. the knack uh, because of my Sharona. Um I probably this. Oh, I remember. I had um, Ario Speedwagon High Infidelity, and then I bought Foreigner. And I remember my dad saw the cover of the Foreigner album Head Games. If you remember that, or the song was yeah, Head Games. Yeah. I forget what the album was, mm -hmm. but it was like a woman had written something in lipstick on a urinal in a men's room, and he was like, "What is going on?" And do you know what head games mean? And I didn't, and I still kind of don't. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I just, I just like the song. Yeah, but it, but it's sort sort of like when when you were growing up, because because uh, we're the similar age, all of the three of us. So, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember we're sitting sitting with, with a couple of friends, and and we're taking turns in buying albums, and and then and going to to each and everyone's house and 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 taping that that record off and and because there was not a lot of oh yeah that was smart on, on. yeah because they, they they didn't play rock and roll uh, at all on on swedish radio when in in the early 80s so we had to buy and by the way were you in but, stockholm or were you elsewhere in sweden no i'm uh, in malmo ah. way south close to copenhagen way south yeah got it so, so we so promise not to. I'm not going to speak my bad Swedish. I'm not going <laughs> to inflict that on Mike and, and make you suffer through that. Maybe after the show. <laughs> Maybe after the show. Yeah. But but did you have any any like favorite record stores wh where you hung out? Because because I know yes. we had. Oh uh, a yeah yeah yeah. I mean so then my mom my parents got divorced. My mother moves to Cambridge, Mass, which is has lots of retail and it has. Kendall Square and Harvard Square and all these cool places. And there's Newbury Comics, which is a Boston brand. And it's called Comics, and they had comic books. But they also had records, and they're still going. I just went in last weekend, took my eldest son in there to go check out Newbury Comics. Yeah. And it um, had changed a little bit, but that was uh, a great record store in my teenage years that had just yeah. tons of stuff. Were there like people in there that had a uh, a great deal of knowledge that that could suggest stuff to you? Yeah, I mean they were like yeah. that. They were yeah, um, yeah. They they clearly uh, cared, which is you know counts yeah. for a lot, and sort yeah. of intimidating too. I mean, if you're young, yeah. you know, you want it to be cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
but I was not, but I had sort of uncool taste. I'm just thinking about it. Like my, I was thinking about my early records at the time. Like I got really into Phil Oaks, which is okay. kind of odd because he was yeah. sort of, you know, in sort of like protest songs from the early 60s. <laughs> and so I had, yeah. um, I remember checking out with the Phil Oaks double album or whatever, and it, I didn't get many approving nods from the, from the hipsters at Newbury <laughs> Comics. So going from, from Aerosmith to Phil Oaks to a wide stretch. Yeah. One man's journey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool, though. How, how old were you when, you when you started buying those kinds of albums? Yeah, I mean, it sort of started at 10, and then it just kept going. But then, like so many other listeners, I'm sure, like it just, you know, CDs came out, and then you did those, and then stop doing records and then when it started and then when I ended up going over to Sweden I sort of, sort of kicked off again later in like my late 30s yeah I started buying them again when everyone else did I, I wish I could say I was you know hardcore throughout the dark times but but I wasn't yeah. I, I jumped I even owned I mean obviously CDs were very popular but then there were all those weird things in the 90s do you remember those the like Sony kept coming out with its own thing, like mini discs yeah. and all yeah. that. And yeah. I, I bought every failed one of those along yeah. the way <laughs> in, in the search of. Also? No, the I did. Well, I didn't get into that one. I did like yeah. small yeah. and convenient. Um, yeah. And, and they were small, convenient and um, bankrupt or whatever. Yeah. You know, useless. Yeah. Because LaserDisc, that, that was a weird thing. Nobody mm. knew how it worked, and and it was like too expensive and 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 just weird. I agree. Yes. So, what was the latest record that you bought? We go there. Do you still? still, still oh, buy records most today? recent. Well, I found. Yeah. I found um, used um, jazz postvenska. Okay. All right. Are you? Is it Jan Johansson? Yeah, Jan Jan Johansson. I got I got that album because I'm into jazz. Is it? It's so good. And my friend um, Fabian, who's Swedish, who loves music like yeah. I do, he turned me on to it. And I didn't even like yeah. jazz at the time. I always tried to like jazz, and I just couldn't quite do it. And then I played this, um, and it must have been just a digital version. He. This was early Spotify when started. I'm in Sweden. Spotify's early days. I'm over there. Yeah. And I listened to it. And it's, and I have no Swedish connection other than being ambassador there. And I guess if you're Swedish, you would recognize them as folk songs that you sort of heard yeah. forever, but a jazzy version. Yes. But yeah. I didn't know the original songs they referenced. And I just found it unbelievable. It's just so moving. And I would just yeah. listen to it over it and over again on those dark afternoons, of which there are many. Um, yeah, <laughs> in Sweden, and I just loved it. Yeah, and uh, and so I had it online, but then, I mean, I had it, yeah, streaming. But I wanted to have it on vinyl, yeah. so that is, I think, the most recent yeah. one. Do you know about his sons, Anderson? No. no, no, they're pretty famous musicians. Uh, Anders is a drummer. He used to play with Ingvi Malmsteen. No and way. He, he play, oh, that's yeah, so he's cool. play, Yeah, he play, plays with uh, Hammerfall too. And and Jens, oh, who is uh, playing keyboard and and uh, piano, he's in uh, the Finnish band is called uh, Sonica Artica, I think. Oh, great! Thank so, you. So yeah, and th and they're doing uh, doing some smaller shows with with uh, their father's music, just the two of them. 
Oh, I'd love. Okay, I will go. Yeah. I will go uh, check that out. Yeah, do it. it. It's it's all in good fun. All right, so let let's go back a little bit. So you went from being an entrepreneur back in the dot com days to being a U.S. ambassador to both Sweden and the U.K. And once you became ambassador, you took a little bit of a different approach by adding a turntable and some vinyl records to your office. So tell us about the collection that you kept in your office and what influenced the choices that were in that collection. Well, it was fun. So in the UK, it started sort of in the Sweden chapter, not really with vinyl, but with this recognition that these buildings that we live in can end up being kind of intimidating to people outside of our little embassy team. Because over the years, we've made them sort of look like, in it, with the best of intentions to keep everybody safe, they kind of look like prisons. Um, and they're off-putting. So in Sweden, I would take small groups out and we'd go, we've, I think our first trip was up to Umeå, up in the north, and then to Vekhoa. We'd go to just, I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And so it's nice if you're not in the capital city when people come and visit your city. And I think you get sort of disproportionate attention if if you uh, go a place like Louisville or like Umeå or like Malmo, wherever it might be. So we went and did that. And then that got me thinking, what are the other ways in which we are kind of putting up barriers, even though we don't realize we are? And one of them was when you walk into this beautiful, the American Taxpayers House in London, where I got to call home for four years, it's called Winfield House. And it's grand and it's big and it can be sort of intimidating. I mean, it's this huge, enormous room that you walk into. And I just didn't, I was watching people's body language when they walked in. And I knew what it was like when I walked in for the first time and I was going to live there. And I was like, well, that's kind of a weird zone to make people feel sort of uncomfortable at first. What could do the opposite of that? So I decided, so we had built from the wonderful team at the embassy, built like a record display, like at a store, you know, that you could flip through the way you do at a record store. And I had it, it was three, like three rows, if you will, two columns deep, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And the first column, I put a big flag for United States. The middle column was United Kingdom. And then the third column was, or third row, was um, United Nations. So it was like United, United, United. And then, and then I just started the collection. I mean, I had my records back home, but I was like, this is a good excuse to visit record stores in Leeds and in Leicester and in Liverpool and any Glasgow, wherever I went, I'd visit a rec- local record store, get recommendations from a local band, try to find a band I like. Um, one of my favorite English bands are the Mekons, which I don't know if you know the Mekons, but they're not, uh, they're from Leeds. Yeah. They kind of yeah. came up around the time of the Gang of Four, I think, in Leeds. Yeah. But they're, and they're well-known and well-liked in America. Um, maybe not, I mean, not mainstream, but have a good fan base. But they're not that well-known, or they weren't, as I looked around record stores. So I kept looking for the Mekons every place I went. Um and The Wedding Present. Those are two bands I loved. Um, and so that kind of gave me an excuse to always look for those records as I tried to explore the local things. And then if someone was visiting our residence, I would try to, like if they were from the North, if they were from like Newcastle or somewhere in the Northeast, I'd like put a Dire Straits record up front. And then when they walked in, I'd be like, hey, welcome. 
flip through these and what we're going to meet now, like put on whatever background music you want to play during our meeting. So they'd flip through it. And so you could just tell. I mean, some people loved it because they were sort of geeks like us about this stuff. And they'd get yeah. really into it. And they'd be agonized that they have to pick just one. I was like, you can pick more than one. You know, there's no rules here. <laughs> um, and then other people, inadvertently, even though I was trying to make everyone feel at home, would then think it was some kind of quiz. And I was like, no, no, no. I just like, you know, I'd always have one on there. I was like, this is what I'm listening to. Can we just play that? And they'd say, sure. Cool. So like, that was the idea, to get people to just kind of let their guard down for a moment. Yeah, I, I have to I have to ask you: Do you have like multiple copies of 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 albums? Cause, yeah. Because Phil is asking me about this. Why the hell yeah. do you own like fifteen copies? Well, there are different pressings. They're from Japan. Oh no! Okay, so like... that's next level, Mike. I'm not at that stage. <laughs> I, I I'm not. I don't know that I'll get there. Maybe one day. I do. I have three children. My wife and I have three children, and some of these ones I love, and I sort of think. So sometimes I get things in threes, and I'm like, well, it would yeah. be nice if they could each have one of these yeah. you know, one day. <laughs> okay. um, there's another great one just made me think of that I looked at forever, which is Alistair Roberts. The, al- the record is called The Amber Gatherers. Okay. And it is so cool because he's a younger than I am. I, th- I mean, he's probably like 40. But he sounds like he was born in 1680. And he sounds kind of like this Viking meets Scottish. It's just such a cool voice. Um, and I love that album. Yeah. And so I have more than one of those. Because I'm afraid they'll, they're not going to make them anymore. So, so what's the, what was the reaction f- f- uh, when, when people went, went to, your, to your office and, and flipping through the vinyls and, and playing them? Was there a... Sort of like a relaxed atmosphere with that. Yeah, Did most that of the time. The ice? Yeah, most of the time. Most of the time, it, it achieved the goal, which is breaking the ice. Um, yeah. And yeah, and a few times it sort of backfired, but mostly it worked. Okay. Um, yeah. Then it was really fun, like I because so many American musicians come through London. The the word got out, and I. I got a call from a wonderful sort of administrative assistant at the embassy, and she was great. She'd grown up in Brazil. She was not into the kind of music we're all into, but anyway, she called it. She gets me on the phone, and she's like, um, "The Eagle would like to visit." And I was like, "Is that a code name for someone like? You know, is that like a <laughs> secret? Like it sounds pretty dramatic. Like the Eagle. Like the Eagle has landed." And then after a few, I figured she's like, the Eagles are in town and they would like to come visit the U.S. And I was like, oh, yes, I would love to have the Damn. Eagles come and visit. And oh, uh, so Glenn Fly, right. This is just a few years before he passed away, sadly. So Glenn came by and Joe Walsh and it was, just, it was really cool. And they were in town to play a huge show. And I got to give them a tour of, you know, they're good American taxpayers of their house in, in London. Yeah. And so in anticipation of that, I ran out to, to Soho to uh, one of my favorite record stores there because I didn't have an Eagles album at the time. You know, I just hadn't, I mean, I had one back home, but not there. Yeah. So I went and got it and got their autographs because really I'm just a fan. So it was a good excuse yeah. to, you know, yeah. get autographs. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. So um, 
you talked about how the the record sort of broke the ice and most of the time it worked sometimes it backfired was there ever a situation where you used the music to smooth over a situation that might not have gone so well oh well no i'll tell you what comes to mind there was this um no but i got to meet taylor swift's mom who's this amazing woman uh named andrea i think mrs swift and uh and so Taylor Swift was doing a big show in town. And so she came over and she's, my kids are like enormous fans. So she's being awesome to our kids in one corner. And so I say to Taylor Swift's mom, um, hey, what a lovely daughter you have raised. Congratulations. She's a great artist. She's a great performer. She's a great businesswoman. Just so inspiring. And our young daughter's there talking to her. And she said, you know, her brother, I'm making it up, you know, Tim, or like her brother Tim's awesome too. And I was like, oh, I'm sure. I just don't know him, but. Yeah. And she yeah. said, how are you? And I remember at the time we were um, one of our kids was just going through a tough time. And I said, you know, famously, you're only as happy as your least happy child or something. And I said, yeah. I was like, you know, I, I, I just want that child to be happy. And then I'll never forget it. She she sort of like grabbed me on the forearm or something. And I was like, what? And she said, no, you don't. And I thought to myself, I beg your pardon. Mm. But she really was insistent. She goes, I used to say that too, but I don't think that's what you mean. And I said, okay, maybe not. And she said, I used to say that, but I had a friend who told me, you do not want your children to be happy. Taylor's not always happy. The brother is not always happy. You're not always happy. I'm not always happy. What I think we mean is we want our children to manage their happiness and unhappiness well. And I thought that was such... So she had been given that advice. She passed it on to me. And it really stuck with me. I haven't said it out loud before, so thank you for giving me this time. Because it, we often just say, trying to be diplomatic, like, oh, we want people to be happy. But the fact is, yeah. managing unhappiness well. And I think music certainly helps me manage my unhappiness yeah. better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my... my I was the best man for my little brother's uh, bachelor, for his wedding, importantly, but also the bachelor party, right? And so I made, I got all the other guys who were coming to it to send me five songs for when they feel glad, five songs for when they feel mad, and five songs for when they feel sad, right? So mad, glad, sad. And so I got all the uh, responses back, and then I made a mix and then put it, this is how old it was, you know, burned it on an iPad iPod back in the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, what was so interesting is all this non-scientifically sampled. These are all my brother's friends and, and my friends. So everyone had five for glad, five for mad, but no one could restrain themselves for just five for sad. Like people like fif- 10 songs, 15 songs, like sad yeah. songs by far dominated and then a couple guys were like, wait, there ought to be a fourth category. So think about a fourth category that would rhyme with mad, glad, and sad, putting you on the spot. I didn't get it. Mad, glad, and sad. Uh, I don't know. They, they wanted uh, rad, like R-A-D. Oh, rad. rad. That, that, that oh, trans- okay. they, they argued that this like transcended mad or glad. Oh, it, it was just okay. like next level. 
transcendent anthems for rad yeah. so so we opened up that category yeah but it was sad that was really long so anyway that was a in, indirect and imperfect answer to um <laughs> music and diplomacy and managing unhappiness cool. yeah we uh we actually did a show a while back where we we called it uh, something about mood like mood music or whatever like what's the music that we want to listen to when we're you know like pissed off or whatever so yeah it was we, we we each came up with one which was difficult mike mike likes to do his his top lists all the yeah. time so we yeah. we've done that so it, it's hard coming up with just like one or two or even five sometimes for yeah. for some of these things yeah but uh yeah and and, and speaking of of moods um do you have a go-to album or a go-to song that you'd like to listen to if you've had like a hard day at work yeah i mean well the, this the album i played the most over the last year probably finishing up this book is not a new album it's sort of it was newish to me it's midnight organ fight by frightened rabbit the great scottish band who sadly okay. lost their front man um uh, three years ago, I think now, um, which was very sad. And um, so I, I would listen to that song. I mean, that album, it's not that long, just over and over and over again when I was working on this book late at night. So it was sort of like the second I'd have like my day and then I'd write the book at night. So it was after sort of, or during and after a long night of writing, I would just that was my go-to album. <laughs> and it still is if I just put it on the other day and it just reminds me of that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, putting a turntable and some vinyls in the Winfield house wasn't the only thing you did. You you had what has been called diplomatic concerts where you had bands come in and, and play and have concerts for your guests. Tell us about that. How did that all get started? In That started like so many good things in Sweden. Um we had Louisville is home to this amazing musician. His real name is Will Oldham, but he performs under Bonnie Prince Billy, formerly Palace Brothers, Palace Music. And he's now a friend because he lives in the same town I do. But I was just a huge fan when I showed up. The city is where my wife grew up. But I and I had been listening to his music ever since he came out with his first album in the early 90s. And so he loves Sweden and Norway and he's got a huge fan base there. So he was coming through and he agreed to play a concert in our living room. And then we had, um, M Ward, uh, come through and he played. And then we ended up getting called back early from our diplomatic posting because president Obama wanted me to serve as his national finance chair for his reelection. So we kind of left early, but we had all these other ones that we were hoping to do in Sweden. So that didn't happen. And then when we end up in London a few years later, I was like, we were on to something. These were really special moments. And they weren't, um, we ended up doing two things in London. We kept going with this sort of living room series, which would, let's say, 100 people, because it's a pretty big living room. <laughs> but still, and then we would have once a year, we had this enormous backyard, as we say in America. They say garden over there. But other than Buckingham Palace, it is the largest sort of backyard in all of London. And it's really big. And so we wanted to fill it up for our 4th of July party every year. And so we had um, Preservation Hall Jazz Band play one year. We had Duran Duran. We had Squeeze. 
Uh, we had the Foo Fighters. Uh, we had Bastille. It was really cool. Those were like the big mega ones. But um, yeah. but then we would continue to do these small ones. And we had um, Ed Sheeran come and play. And we had Damien Gerardo. And we had, now I'm forgetting. We had, oh, then we had Amazing. Um, because this is fun. I wish I had it here. Um, well, we're listening, so it wouldn't make any difference. But we... Um, <laughs> We had Bell and Sebastian, one of my favorite bands, come and play. And then also The National, one of my favorite bands. And we made cool YouTube videos. You can see them online. If you do U.S. Embassy Ed Sheeran, it'll pop up. And it's got, you know, lots of people have watched it. Because a, a friend of ours who just passed away, a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker named Gabriel Rye, uh, came over and from, from L.A. and would film these things and then make them into beautiful things so we could share because we could only have 100 people in our living room but we didn't want this to be some exclusive thing so the artists all agreed to let these be shared for free on youtube so there's some really um cool ones joan shelley did one for us she's an amazing uh, artist out of louisville anyway um so anyway at the end of my time i made a record and uh one of the, the guys who started Rough Trade Records in London became a pal. He's amazing, and he was really supportive, and he hooked me up with all the people to make this happen. And the great people at Bell and Sebastian at the National agreed to let a recording from that night be used. So it's like a 12-inch um, with one side Bell and Sebastian singing The State I Am In and then the National singing England in our living room, and it looks really cool. Anyway, and you can pull it open. There are pictures from our time there. It was really cool. So we gave that as a thank you present to all the employees of the embassy and to our friends. And it was a nice. Um, and you know what? I'm going to send you guys. I'll, we'll follow up after it. But I'd love to send you each a copy of this vinyl. Um, oh, that'd be sweet. Which was yeah. kind of fun. Really? And but but my favorite part of the night. So that was always, um, you know, fun. Like I love music. Uh, everyone we invited. We tried to invite people who really loved this stuff you know and so we'd have a cocktail party beforehand and then we'd go listen to music and then we'd come back and then my favorite part of the night was afterwards in this other enormous room we would say well look just stay and we'd have there's an amazing piano as part of the residence that was like um i think it was like noel coward had played it, it was some like famous provenance of this uh piano and we had uh an acoustic guitar and we had other instruments and we're just like look if you just like to play music you can just play and people would and it was really cool oh, oh man and just that's sort of amateur cool. night yeah 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 that's awesome anyway it's making to me nostalgic yeah cool yeah well we do a lot of this nostalgia on this show we, we yeah. talk a, about the good old days quite often here and that's but, why we're well, doing this podcast <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um, how has music influenced both your roles as an entrepreneur and a diplomat? Like you mentioned earlier about, you know, you listen to the record while you were writing your book. Did, did the writing, uh, it, did listening to music help the writing process or? I hope it does. I mean, I can't, I just always listen to music my whole, I can't imagine. I was talking to a really good friend of mine, amazing guy. And I was just like, hey, what are you listening to? Which is what I sort of ask everyone. And and he sort of said, like, mostly news, you know. 
And I was like, well, no, I don't mean like what news you're listening to or podcasts. I do both of those things. But I was like, no, like just like when you're listening to music. He's like, I just don't listen to music anymore. I thought, oh, my goodness. I couldn't imagine not listening um, to music. And I love podcasts and I think news is really important. And I find time for both. But but I really need my uh, my music time. But what to your question about diplomacy. There are people like that. That's strange. No, I know. I find it, and I, by the way, I should say, like, yeah. I don't have a, sh- okay, so, remember I said we'd have these fun parties, and after the official music ceremony, yeah, and before the amateur night started, at that first cocktail moment before the professional played, I'd go around, and there'd be, you know, like a cocktail party, there'd be groups of five people talking to each other, so I'd kind of go out and be like, hey, you know, if I didn't know them, introduce myself, and then I would do this little test, and this is a fun to try now that COVID is hopefully going away so we can be with people again. But if you get five people standing there and you say, um, hey, are any of you musical? Now, there's like three types of people. There are the people like me who have said no before I finished answering, asking the question. Like, are you musical? Nope. And I'm one of these. Like, truly, I'm not being falsely modest, you know, tone deaf, the whole bit. And then there's the second group of people that say, yeah, you know, yeah, I play a little bit of piano or I played violin until I was 15, you know, like whatever. But then there's this really interesting group, this third group of people who basically just don't say anything for like five seconds. But they're saying a lot with that pause. Yeah. And basically, the answer is yes, they do. They just aren't given an opportunity to do it or they wouldn't, you know, be they wouldn't raise both hands and join some, you know, American Idol kind of thing. <laughs> And if, if, we, if we thought about the realm of cooking, right, and we, and we asked the same kind of question, it's like, do you cook? There'd be some people like, absolutely not. And some people like, yes, I'm amazing. But there'd be this whole middle group of people like, yeah, I'm a cook at home. I'm pretty good. This is what I do well. But, you know, but in the realm of music, we're either totally professional or made to feel like you don't have much of a role. And I think that's a shame. And I think in diplomacy, yeah. there is a similar thing going on, which is, the experts or the professionals, and there needs to be a lot of sort of amateur diplomats, especially in our country and overseas, because what we need, mm-hmm. I think, is a lot more domestic diplomacy, because people are talking at each other and past each other all the time, and it's not very yeah. helpful. No. But yeah. did, did you get a, a lot of people that were professional musicians that's, that weren't, were like reluctant to, to answer your question? Or was it no, like it's that middle group who were like, and then later I could see what they did in the green room. That's what we called the big, not the green room, like the entertainment yeah. sense of the world. But we had this no. huge second living room that was green. Um, yeah. And people would stand up and, and, you know, sing Spanish love ballads a cappella or whatever. And, and yeah, you with no preparation, some accompaniment, sometimes no accompaniment and with maybe a little liquid courage, just, you know, beautifully share their talents. And then people yeah. would sing along. And the whole thing was just, that was something I love. Um, yeah. And we should do more of. And if I had a shred of musical talent, I would, you know, I tried to create the conditions for it since I didn't, you know. Yeah. I'd get the guitar. Because yeah. I see myself in, in, in those people and, and, and I play myself. But if I get the question... Uh, hey, you look like this with with tattoos and long hair. So, 
are you a musician? So I go, yeah, I fiddle around a bit, but I never <laughs> go. And F- Phil pesters me about this. You should promote yourself and and the band and and dams and I feel weird. Why should I? <laughs> well, but that's like, don't you think that that's a Swedish? Yeah, it trait. Is. It is. Yeah. Mm. And by the and way, have you watched? And you need to watch. You may be in it for all I know. The Netflix has that new docu-series called Pop, P-O-P, and it's yeah. like little 30-minute documentaries, but one of them is basically called What Is It About the Swedes? And it's Max oh. Martin, and it's back to ABBA, and it's the yeah. whole, um, it's the story from ABBA till now through Backstreet Boys yeah. and Britney Spears and just the genius of Swedish mm. okay. pop music okay. creation have to watch that either swedish bands like ace of bass rock set but then all the production for american and british acts it's so cool yeah and you know it all but it'd be fun but one of the central questions is basically people saying a version of what you shared so beautifully of like i'm just not going to be that guy (laughs) yeah in the yontalagen kind of yeah it is (laughs) it is logum logum yes logum yeah. All right, so let's dive into your collection. Yeah, do it. How many records do you actually have in your collection? All right, well, I'm away from home right now, which is why it's not behind me. Normally, it is my Zoom backdrop, which is how we met, right, Phil? Because your wife clued you into when it showed up. Um, And the good people at Room Raider appreciated that, which I appreciated because... (laughs) um, so let me see. I can do it because it's that same 624. So it's like 200 and something. But I've kept it really okay. small. I mean, I, don't, I mean, that feels small to me. So what I've done, I left half of it. I left probably 250 records in the UK. Because yeah. when I got to the resident, there was like a, I don't know, Barry Manilow, nothing against Barry Manilow, but like a box set of Barry Manilow was the only, on CDs, were like the only thing there. And I'm like, okay, great American, but like, there's more. Um, And so I wanted to add to that. So it ended up being records. And so I left the record player and I left a whole bunch of the records. I couldn't leave them all because I wanted, and that's back to like, do you buy more than one? So if someone was like, well, I want to leave one and buy one um, for some classic ones. And um, and then I'm mindful of trying to, you know, just be really kind of intentional about like not and maybe it's like a turning 50 thing of not just like collecting to have lots of stuff, but just, you know, and so I'll try to like give them away if if I'm so I don't want to have one of those big collections that you can't see. I mean, do you remember when you could read the skinny side of a record? Yeah. You know, I mean, the spine. I mean, that's just baffling to me that my friends who, like my brother, like who stores them that way. I'm like, I mean, I can't even see the color of them, much less the words on them (laughs) when they're laid out that way. So I want to keep them. So my little case is kind of a limiting factor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the the, the records that were in the Winfield house that you had on display, did those end up in your collection or did you give those away? When I you, mostly gave those away. Left? Yeah. I mostly left those there. Um, well, I mean, I had to bring the signed ones, right? Cause I had signed ones by the guys oh, yeah. that squeeze, so I had squeeze singles signed by those guys. And 
the national and you know all the acts I mentioned before. Um, uh, Alexi Murdoch, another guy who came and played, and um, so I those were treasures. So I kept all of those. Annie Lennox, oh Annie Lennox came and played piano. Oh. In our, like even a different room, not even the living room, like more intimate for International Women's Day. And the first thing she did is she said, would everyone please sit down? And everyone like took off and like just sat on the floor and it was so cool. <laughs> and she was oh, wow. amazing. So I had to bring that one with me. I mean, I'm generous, but not that generous. So um, <laughs> all the signed ones came with me. Um, but I left a lot. And then Johnny Cash, which is the one that when I was on that TV show, The Morning Joe, Willie, the co-host, pointed out one of the Rick Rubin-produced American Recordings mm. record, which oh. I had because it's I got to see Johnny Cash at the Fillmore in San Francisco and whatever that would have been, 1990, I don't know, seven, eight, which was just like oh. the best show I have ever seen. Yeah. And there was this cool, there was a cool record store I wish I could remember the name of it, in San Francisco. And I used to go like every weekend in my early 20s. I was single and like didn't have a lot going on. So I'd go there and I'd buy records. And they had this huge Johnny Cash poster that came from that album, you know, that was, I don't know, you know, three by five feet. Yeah. And it was on the mm -hmm. ceiling. Yeah. And, um, and I come in, I was like, oh, hey, is that for sale? And they're like, no, man. And then like every year or so I'd check in and be like, you sure? And they're like, dude, it's not for sale. And I was like, okay. <laughs> then they moved and they downsized, right? And and I think things were getting tough in this is like late nineties now. And they move and they relocate and I walk in to their new location and they're like, Oh, you're the guy who loves the Johnny Cash. And I was like, Where is it? And they're like, It doesn't fit. Do you want it? And I'm like, Yes. I've wanted it for years now. So <laughs> they gave it to me and they folded it back up in like the size of a record. And they gave it to me yeah. and I took it out and I got it mounted on foam core. And then I was working at this internet company and we weren't, we were sort of, we had, we were kind of trendy and popular, but we weren't cash flow positive. And my cousin who was a CFO and co-founder was just like, Hey, we shouldn't celebrate before we actually make money. And I was like, okay. So we hung the cash poster upside down and we were like, we're going to flip Johnny cash right side up when we make cash. And so there's this great moment when we finally made cash and we flipped over the poster. Anyway, that has come with me. And then I got it framed in like a fake gold frame. And it's come with me to Sweden and to Kentucky and to London. And now it's back home in Kentucky again. So that's a particularly oh, important one. But those American recordings, man. Oh, right. And damn. then he covers great Bonnie Prince Billy. I see it. Or I guess it was Palace Brothers back then. But the I see a yeah. darkness. Is a cover, and yeah. then Will tells the story when he got the call from Johnny's people. Would he like to go out to L.A. and play guitar and sing with Johnny Cash, his yeah. own song? Can you imagine how cool that yeah. would be? Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be awesome. You're so together w with with your vinyl collection. I'm I'm like 12 years old still in my mind. Oh, I as doubt soon it. As soon as I see a vinyl records. Yeah, no, I, I'm serious. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I have like a thousands of vinyls. I, 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 I'm, I could not give stuff away because then I might miss out on something. So I, I wish I had something like 
the way that you have like when we you can downsize and and say hey this is like two, 250 or whatever it's uh i wish i wish matthew i wish i'm not there well maybe you have to read the book which up. is called the power of giving away power right yeah. that is maybe i hadn't thought about the giving that, away vinyl but it's like but the thing with yeah the thing with the book is that you give away power so that you get it back again so that you can give it back again there is something a little bit more discreet yeah. on the record like you're probably not going to actually get it back again but i think of it as just multiplying um which is a yeah. good feeling i do buy records mm -hmm. for my friends though give them a th oh. us birthday gifts. oh you know speaking of gifts i got there's a really cool friend of mine from london who's a great journalist and named keith and he bought a record store at brighton in the south coast of england and oh. i forget the story oh. but it was like it's he's still a journalist but he loves records and he loves record stores and this thing needed help the owner needed to move on to a new chapter and he took it over and I don't even think he was intending on maybe running it forever. He thought maybe just for the catalog and for whatever. But he gave me as a gift the um, Will the Circle Be Unbroken 1972 Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, you know, that amazing yeah. record. Records. Yeah, that's some great stuff, yeah. Mm. And that has been yeah. so fun playing because Ken Burns did that. Have you watched Ken Burns' Country music documentary no i haven't you gotta watch that no. that is so good and and the context of when those guys show up in nashville how they're treated basically rebuffed yeah. by official nashville but then they go and invite speaking of diplomacy the old time nashville people who had fallen out of favor and so that these new yeah. kids from california meet the old folks who'd been pushed aside and they make magic together and oh, ugh, that's so, so great cool. yeah Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, man. That's some good stuff right there. Mm hmm So what is your most prized vinyl in your collection? That, that one vinyl record that you wouldn't give up for anything in the world. Oh, I'm a father of twins. So favorites are really really something I don't do. So <laughs> and, and uh, twins and then another one. So three. Um, I mean, there's this signed copy of Andy Lennox's Nostalgia that I love. It's got her beautiful, wonderful, smiling face on the cover and in, in like photo pen, nice things to my wife, Brooke, and me. So that that is like a... Um, and singing great... Amer Here's this great Scottish woman singing songs from America in a very different... Con and just... A, anyway, I love that. Um the Jazz Postvenska, my most recent acquisition, I, it's been a long time coming in vinyl form. I just hadn't gotten it. And, and that's simple. I find that just haunting, but that's a good word for me, like hauntingly beautiful and simple. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I would hate to give that one up. While I pause to think of my third, because I have three for each... Um, <laughs> the the Johnny Cash I'm not going to pick because I have the poster right I could live without the vinyl because yeah. I got the poster and yeah. that's where the stories are but President Obama came to visit the day that Prince died and I had and so we put on a Prince mm. album when he walked in and that was kind of sad and special and kind of neat 
to just play yeah. this awesome American musician with President Obama who loves music. And by the way, he really can sing. I mean, he's, he may not be great, but he's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that was sort of a, an interesting diplomacy meets, um, meets uh, <laughs> music moment. Um, yeah. And you know, it's another, you know, it's another great one. I'm thinking about Mike. I'm looking at Mike too much here. I'm not picking it as my third, but tallest man on earth, the Swedish yeah. guy, Christian Monson. Do you know yeah. him? Yeah. Yes. That that album of his ten years ago or whatever that got me through. That's right in the front. That's on the that's on my uh, my Zoom background, right there. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe I loved. That's I mean, I'll one. do Nitty Gritty Dirt Band that that Keith gave me. That is such a treasure. Cool. Okay. And how about on the flip side? What's the one thing that's not in your collection that you're always hunting for? You're always trying to find. Uh, the Mekons record with um, Where Were You on it. I'm trying to remember the name. of. I know what it okay. looks like because I'm always flipping through. Um and I got to see a Mik- in COVID, you know, that Mekons did one of these acts where you could just watch them online and then you could like chat and they would like actually chat back with you. It, I thought it was sort of fake, but it was real and it was kind of fun. <laughs> so I got to see them play up in Chicago, even though I was in Kentucky. Um, but I driving my kids to preschool way, way back when they were really little, I would make them a mix. At, I would burn CDs with like 12 songs. And then yeah. I'd play them, and then they each got to pick their favorite, and then I'd play their favorites on the way, and it became fun. But they all loved that song, Where Were You, which is kind of post-punk, angry, and these little three-year-olds loving it. I, that and Fugazi. They loved uh, Waiting Room oh, 5 cool. Fugazi. So mm-hmm. I tried to do my, uh, yeah. my indoctrination early. Um, but I haven't found that one on vinyl, <laughs> so that would be good. You could put that under mad on the mad glad sad, I would put that under mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And rad. <laughs> yeah, or rad actually. Yes, yeah, I think yeah. that actually mad might transcend. That's a yeah, rad yeah. one. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so did you discover any other bands when you were an ambassador in Sweden? Any other Swedish bands that that you didn't know about? But well, I went. I saw like the, I think. I mean, I'll I'll be proven wrong, but I think like the first Stockholm show that first aid kit. Did. I think they oh, opened cool. for Bright Eyes, and and a friend of ours was the manager for Bright Eyes, and so we went and saw him. But the opening act were these two, sort of impossibly young, amazingly talented young women who. Yeah. It was an amazing show, and then, first aid kit, tallest man on earth. I think I saw his first Stockholm show, because he's from Lexand. Cool. Yeah. And I remember like his entire hockey team or something he'd invited to the thing. And it was just, it was so cool. Um, and, um, oh, here's a great idea that Americans should adopt. I went to this really cool party in the middle of, so Swedish summer, my family would go back for the summer, but I would stay because you're not allowed as an ambassador to be out of the country that's hosting you for more than 20-something days a year, which is kind of a weird okay. rule, but it is true. So my family would go back to Kentucky, but I would have to stick around. Well, I have to stick around. It was my job, so I just stuck around. But So I had sort of more free time. Anyway, 
as you know, in Sweden, they take summer really seriously, right? And so they have parties all the time. It stays light all the time. And this friend of mine who was in the music business, she had a she and her husband had a big party, and when you arrived, you were given you were put into one of four teams, and you didn't know why, or I didn't know why, because everyone else did, because they go to this party every year. But you were matched up if you're like I was in like Group B, call it. You were paired with like, um, I think I got Anders Glenmark. So you're given like oh, a, man. I don't know. Someone described him. He's a lovely guy, sort of Bruce Springsteen of Sweden. I don't know how you, Thomas Ledeen. I mean, you yeah. know, like <laughs> yeah. really good musicians in Sweden. You were assigned a pro, and then with that pro, who's also a guest, a friend of the guest, you write a pop song before dinner. How fun is this? I mean, are you kidding? So I'm in heaven, right? I have no musical talent, but I had a drink in my hand and it was, the sun was high in the sky and the people were great. And so we start to work, except our pro, Anders, was late, right? So like, well, look, we just got to get to it. I know we're not pros, but like, so we start scribbling and we're coming up with a plan. And then he finally arrives and we tell him our idea for a song. And he sort of respectfully listens and he says, I don't think you understand the very first rule of pop music or rock music. And I said, "Uh, evidently not. What is the first rule of pop music? He said, the first rule of pop music is that it has to be simple. There is no room for cleverness. Evidently, what I had written up was failed this test miserably. He's like, no, no, here's what I mean. It's not, it's like the listener on their very first listen should be able to almost guess what the line's going to be. And so it takes a lot of creativity, but the kind of sort of clevery things you people are trying to do doesn't make for good pop music. Make good for something else, but not for pop music. So we kind of threw that out, started again under his leadership. And I'm proud to say... uh, we prevail because then you have to go perform them in front of everybody after dinner. Cool. And then, you know, there's like a voice vote thing and, and Group B did did well. Wow. Man. Did, did you guys come up with a band name or was that not part of the deal? No, I'm, I'm sure we did because I had to be, see, that's where I thought I could take my skills. I was like, I can't sing. I tried to do lyrics. They were thrown out for being like overwrought. So then I tried to do the band name oh but in the end i did try to write a song for my farewell i think so bob dylan wrote it i can't believe i haven't talked about dylan i mean dylan is probably my number one like many people like he is my go-to in all all times mad glad sad rad there he is um (laughs) but um so he wrote the song that johnny cash made famous called wanted man you know that one Wanted man in Buffalo, you know, like it just names American cities, all of it, like Buffalo, Santa Fe, you know, it's sort of a simple, awesome song. So I decided to rewrite the lyrics to that about cities in Sweden, which wasn't very hard, but it was fun and it suited. It was like sort of like a crossword puzzle. Like I could just the tune was done. The beat was done. It was just filling in different. And there are some two American ears hilariously awesome sounding Swedish place names. 
that and a whole bunch of them that all end with sherping, right? Lynn sherping, yeah, Yen yeah. sherping, and so like that was easy to rhyme. Anyway, it was fun, and then I performed yeah. it with my friend Fabian at our farewell party. So that was, yeah. Oh, uh, there's probably a oh, terrible man. recording of it out there. Is that somewhere. on video? No, mercifully, no video. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mercifully. Uh, we need to find the yeah, bootleg. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's some awesome stuff. Uh, all right. Well, before we let you go, let everybody know about your book, where they can get it, what's a little more about it. You kind of touched on it a, a few minutes ago, but yeah, tell everybody about your book. Well, it's 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 stuff. a book uh, called "The Power of Giving Away Power: How the Best Leaders Learn to Let Go," um, and you can get it. You can you can get it on any place you get a book. Your local bookshop can get it for you. The big online retailers like Amazon can do it. Um, it's available on Audible if you'd rather listen to it. You can find out all these buying choices at MatthewBarzen.com. That has all the links to all those various places. Um, it is about, it's funny that I use the word power twice in the title, right? But it is a word that Mike and Phil, I avoided using when I was in my dot-com days, I avoided using it in politics. I avoided using it as a diplomat because it's such a loaded word, I think. And it has so many negative connotations mm -hmm. as well as positive. So I just steered away from it. But I've come to realize in the writing of the book, it's like, no, no, no. Um, I think it's really important because I think we have a problem with power. A and I think we, we've seen how if you lord it over others, it's pretty destructive. If you hoard it to yourself... It's destructive in a different way. It leads to alienation and loneliness. And then the temptation is to share power, which feels right, except that's implying that it's something you can divvy up, like it's a scarce resource, like something you can mine. And I think there are these great leaders out there, some alive, since long since dead, who have a lot to teach us. And they can teach us that power wasn't something that you mine. It's something that you can make and you can multiply and you can do it with other people. Um, I think music, we've talked a lot of time about music, is such an obvious example of the power of co-creation, of people getting together and making something that none of them went into that studio or into that living room, wherever it is, with it, but they'll emerge with something they made together. It will forever be part of them. They will forever be part of it, right? And we need to do that more. We have kind of lost these habits of making things together or the habits of interdependence. That's what the book's about, rediscovering the lost habits of interdependence. Um, and the leaders who did figure this out went on to build some of the biggest, most consequential organizations the world has ever seen, like Electronic Money in the Form of Visa, which is the biggest commercial organization in the world. Wikipedia, which I hope we never take for granted, but it is such a triumph, right? And it beat out the richest company in the mm -hmm. world. It was taking on Microsoft and Britannica, the oldest company in the world, yeah. and it beat them both, or bested them both, I should say. Mm -hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, all of these things share what I call a constellation mindset, which is one about making power together, making new connections. And I contrast that with the world of pyramid power, which is the world of up, down, in, out, ranking, rating, sorting, sifting, that has a time and place, but we're doing way too much of it. And I think it's making us miserable. 
So that was a long elevator ride for an elevator pitch, but I would uh, welcome your listeners to uh, to take a look, take a listen, um, and would love to hear what you all think and, and what they think. Yeah, cool. yeah. Definitely. Right. Well, Matthew, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come hang with us and talk about hey, music. Hey, this is, as you can tell, as I hope you stuff. can tell, I, uh, I really enjoy talking about this stuff with you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, and uh, for Mike, I say, Taxa <laughs> that is my favorite expression in Swedish. I was chumming for the takhuelv, Phil, which means like, no, thank you. It's a yeah. lovely way. Like, thanks back at you. It's a great yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is. Yes. I, I, my, my Swedish is very limited to fika <laughs> and logum and tack and very simple. Yeah. Hey, simple but I mean, words. those are, that's like a trifecta but, of, you know. Yeah, what was that? Coffee, yeah. coffee yes. thanks. It's a good start. Yes. Um, my first lesson in Swedish, yeah. I had Ulf, my Swedish teacher, at the, at the American uh, language school. And I just was like, I had one day crash course. Yeah. And I was like, all right, uh, how do you say please? And there was a long pause. He said, we do not say please in Swedish. And I was like, that is amazing. I'm a diplomat, and there is no word for please. Which is kind of, I don't know if you'd agree, Mike. I mean, there's a word, they basically say thank you instead of please a little bit. Yeah. But yes. I thought that mm-hmm. was good. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> Talk well. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Until next time, later. Later. This has been Sounds on Vinyl, hosted by Mike Svensson and Bill Boyer. But it doesn't have to end. Join the Sounds on Vinyl community at soundsonvinyl.com forward slash community for exclusive content, music documentaries, chats, and more. Sounds on Vinyl is produced by Boozhound Music in cooperation with Boozhound Entertainment. Thanks for listening and all your motherfucking support.